This is Sunrise, the who, what, when, where, why, and WTF of Florida politics. I'm Rick Flagg reporting from Tallahassee on day 56 of the 60-day legislative session. This is supposed to be the final week, and they will indeed wrap things up by the Friday deadline, but lawmakers will have to return next month for a one-week special session on gambling. We will um, be setting a special session for the week of May 17th. That is a date that is agreed upon between uh, us and the Senate president and the Senate uh, leadership team. So I wanted to give you that opportunity to block that off now. The special session was announced shortly after the governor signed a new 30-year gaming compact with the Seminole Tribe, which would serve as the state's electronic hub for online sports betting. It's going on anyways. People are doing it. They have things that go overseas. Uh, and this agreement makes the tribe uh, the, the sole provider uh, of that. The Seminoles would also be allowed to offer Vegas-style games like craps and roulette that are not allowed in Florida today. But there are legal issues that could spike the deal. After hours of emotional debate, the Florida House approves a bill banning what the sponsors call disability abortions. Backers of the bill say they are trying to prevent eugenics. Opponents say this is eugenics. The concept of ending a pregnancy on the basis of a disability is modern-day eugenics. If you decide that I can't have an abortion, you can decide that I must have an abortion. And members, that is eugenics. HB 1221 says any doctor who performs an abortion because the parents don't want a disabled child is committing a felony. We'll also have your calendar of political events and the story of a Florida woman who was already on probation for DUI manslaughter when she was clocked doing 111 miles per hour on Interstate 4 in Hillsborough County. But first, a word from the sponsor. You're listening to the Sunrise Podcast from Florida Politics, and we are much obliged. In Florida, if you fall behind on court debt payments, the state takes away your driver's license. But if you can't drive, you can't work. So how can you make enough money to pay the debt? This policy makes no sense. Let's end debt-based license suspensions and help Florida get back to work. And now the top stories on Sunrise for Monday, April 26th. This is National Help a Horse Day, National Pretzel Day, and National Dissertation Day. The world's worst nuclear disaster occurred on this date in 1986 when the fourth reactor at Chernobyl Nuclear Power Station in the USSR exploded. 31 died. Radioactive contamination reached much of Western Europe. In 2018, legendary comedian Bill Cosby was found guilty of sexual assault in Philadelphia. And on this date three years ago, a new general societal survey showed the most popular religion in America was none of the above. 22.5% described themselves as evangelicals, 23% said they were Catholic, 23.1% said they had no religion. The state reported 4,671 new cases of COVID Sunday and 37 additional fatalities. We have more than 2.2 million cases now. Our death toll has reached 35,534. But you know, something extraordinary happened between Saturday and Sunday when the number of people hospitalized for COVID in Florida dipped below 2,500. That number went down by almost 25% in one day. Now that the feds have turned off the pause button, Florida's Division of Emergency Management says it will resume distribution of the Johnson & Johnson COVID vaccine as soon as possible. U.S. health officials reversed their 11-day pause on J&J &J Friday after deciding its benefits outweigh a rare risk of blood clots. The Associated Press says 15 women suffered clotting, three of them have died. Now, when the pause was first announced, the governor said he supported the decision. A few days later, he accused the feds of mishandling the decision and called it a huge mistake. 
This is the final week of the 2021 legislative session, and lawmakers are very close to signing off on their $100 billion budget, but they'll be back before you know it. On Friday, House Speaker Chris Sprouls told lawmakers they'll be back in mid-May to deal with the issue of gambling. The governor has been in active negotiations with the Seminole Tribe regarding a gaming compact. Um, that compact was, in fact, signed uh, with the tribe. That is not something that we were willing to take up during the course of the regular session. As we have a lot of policy, important policy to the people of the state of Florida moving, we have our budget negotiations that Chairman Trumbull and the, and the appropriations subchairs are bringing in for a landing, and that will be and continues to be our focus over the next several days. So we will not be taking up the compact uh, during the course uh, of the regular session. Uh, however, uh, we will um, be setting a special session for the week of May 17th. That is a date that is agreed upon between uh, us and the Senate president and the Senate uh, leadership team. So I wanted to give you that opportunity to block that off now. And members, that is designed specifically to allow us, and I'm, I'm sure I'm looking at faces, uh, people are not going to be terribly excited uh, to come back up to Tallahassee, nor will your families. Um, however, we wanted to make sure that we had adequate time uh, to educate all of you, not just on what's the specific provisions of the gaming compact, but I'm cognizant of the fact that in, uh, even though some of you have been here for a number of years, gaming is not something that has been debated much on this House floor, or bills have not moved uh, through committee in any some sort of significant way. So we want there to be plenty of opportunity for you to be educated on the general topics of gaming, as well as the specific provisions uh, of the Seminole Compact. Our current vision, uh, having cons consulted with our House leadership team, is to, uh, when you do go home, is to uh, adapt what we did during Legislator University, which we've gotten a lot of positive feedback from you all as members, to start, start that education process while you are home. Um, so that we can educate on specific, uh, specific provisions and that regardless of what committees you sit on, everyone has the opportunity to engage, to learn, and to ask questions uh, during that time. The Speaker's announcement came after the Governor met with the Chairman of the Seminoles for a ceremonial signing of a new 30-year gaming compact between the state and the tribe. Under that deal, the Seminoles would serve as the state hub for all online sports betting, and paramutual operators would contract with the tribe so everyone gets a piece of the action. The state would get at least $500 million per year in exchange for giving the tribe control over sports betting. Seminole Chairman Marcellus Osceola Jr. says it's a win for the state and the tribe. We are truly happy for the, uh, for the chance that we've been given to be here today and put this behind us for the next 30 years. The compact also allows a massive expansion of the tribe's gaming empire. They already have seven casinos in Florida and could build three more. The tribe would also have the exclusive right to offer Vegas-style games like craps and roulette. The legislature and the Interior Department still have to approve the compact, and there are legal problems as well. Florida voters approved Amendment 3 in 2018, saying any expansion of gambling has to be approved by the voters. Governor DeSantis says they got around that by basing the sports wagering on tribal land. Clearly, the amendment recognized the ability of the governor to negotiate with, with the tribe. Look, at the end of the day, this is operated by the tribe. It's operated on tribal lands. And, uh, and I, think it, I think it satisfies uh, Amendment 3. And if somebody wants to uh, try to contest that, both the tribe and the state will be, will be vigorously defending the agreement that, that we have uh, made here today. But longtime gambling opponent John Suwinski believes this new deal violates that amendment. He says it's not limited to tribal land. This 
agreement paves the way for full-scale um, electronic betting of all sorts on phones and electronic devices and mobile devices throughout Florida, not just on tribal lands. Sawinski says if this really is a good deal for Florida, that lawmakers should obey the Constitution and give the voters a say on the issue. The Florida House approves a bill that says doctors will be committing a felony if they abort a fetus because the parents don't want a child with a serious medical disability. House Bill 1221 is the latest anti-abortion bill to get traction in Tallahassee, and it's inspired some of the most emotional debate of the session. Representative Robin Bartleman of Weston was a special ed teacher when she discovered her second pregnancy was in jeopardy. I had a pregnancy that I wanted, that I prayed for every day, and a pregnancy that I worked for because I wanted to give my daughter a sibling and I wanted to have another child. When they did the ultrasound, there was something very, very wrong with the shape of the fetus. And when my doctor told me that, all I could do was go home and cry with my husband because we wanted this baby. We wanted to have a sibling for Emma. And we sat down and we talked about what could potentially be wrong with that fetus. What could be wrong and why can't we give Emma the sibling she deserved? And I was told, you, you have to make a choice because you can keep the baby. You can, you can terminate your pregnancy. You need to decide, it's a choice. I prayed every day, I prayed with my priest. I prayed with Deacon Art, God rest his soul. Every day we prayed. What happens to Emma? What happens to the baby when we die? <sighs> Hold on, let me just get it together. Every day, what happens to that baby when we die? What burden is that for Emma? What kind of quality of life will that child have? Will that child be in an institution? Will that child be sitting in a chair with no quality of life? And we prayed every day. So when you think that people have abortions, who have abortions, that it's an easy decision, that it, 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 I wanted that pregnancy. So the last week came, so it could be a first, the first time, you know, you want to do it early in the pregnancy. And I woke up that, that morning, and my husband and I prayed. And we said, please, God, help us make this decision, because I have to make it today, and I don't know what to do. So, so I prayed the whole way in the car. And when I got there, and they did the ultrasound, the heart stopped beating, and I did not have to make that decision, which was terrible, but that's why I want to tell you, stay out of my decisions. If this law passed, I may have not been able to make that decision. That was my decision. That was my husband's decision. That was a pregnancy that we prayed for, worked for, I hormone treatment for. Don't insert yourself into my family decisions. So when you think that people make these decisions lightly, when you think that people want to just get rid of a certain group of people, that's not true. I thank God every day I had that choice. And even with that choice, I thank God every day that I didn't have to be the one to make it.
Bartleman says the state has no business forcing a woman to deliver a baby with a disability. But Representative Tyler Sarah of Merritt Island says if we don't protect them, we're no better than the Nazis. The concept of ending a pregnancy on the basis of a disability is modern day eugenics. And for me, well, sometimes I have to look at history because oftentimes the things that we're confronted with in this chamber, we have answered and seen before. And for me, this issue is no different. And I want to talk a little bit about the practice of eugenics, which aims to advance genetically valuable traits while removing traits or conditions that are de deemed undesirable. The definition begs the question, who decides what is undesirable? We need only to look to history for our tragic, horrific answer. In the 1930s, the Nazis worked to establish a master race. They sought to eliminate from the gene pool any trait or condition that they deemed unworthy. They called it life unworthy of life. Life unworthy of life. As a representative duly elected this chamber, I'm here to tell you that I believe that terminating a pregnancy on the basis of a child's disability is indeed a form of eugenics, and I believe it is wrong. We know that these lives are not without hardship or challenge, challenges for the child, and most certainly the parents who are faced with the burdens related to care and quality of life. But these challenges should not be a denial of our most basic and God-given right, the right to life. But there's a problem with that Nazi eugenics analogy. You see, it was the government then making the decision, not the parents. Representative Kelly Skidmore of Boca Raton says this bill is the same because the government is saying the child must be carried to term and takes that decision away from parents. What we are doing is interfering, inserting ourselves between a physician and a patient. We're practicing medicine all the time in this legislature, and we're doing it again. So come on in the exam room with me, peer over my doctor's shoulder, peek under the sheet, and make the decision for me. If the government, this body, who, can, who wants to tell local government what they can and can't do, who wants to tell the federal government what it can and can't do, you're going to tell me what I can and can't do with my body, then let me tell you what you're telling all of us. If you decide that I can't have an abortion, you can decide that I must have an abortion. And members, that is eugenics. The definitions that you have heard are not what eugenics has been in the past as we hold it up to be. Mass manipulation of the population by government interference. That is what this body is doing. This governmental body is interfering in my personal private decisions that are lawful. No woman is asking for our help in this decision. No woman has come to the legislature and said, I'm not sure what to do. Could you help me out? Help me make this decision because I don't know what to do. And of course, a politician would be the right person to go to. You are inserting government into my exam room. That's how personal this is. This bill was personal for Representative Elizabeth Federhoff of DeLand. The only reason she's here today is that her mother ignored the doctors.
I stand before you all today as an example of a mother choosing life in the face of a devastating medical diagnosis and what some on this floor would have considered a financial burden worthy of being aborted. During my mother's pregnancy, she was prescribed medication that caused me to have significant birth defects, and there was also a diagnosis of cystic fibrosis, which were both considered a painful death sentence at the time. The life expectancy for a child with cystic fibrosis when I was born was around five years, and the quality of life was not something that you would wish for any child. My mother, with as much information as she had at the time, and knowing that I could be a financial burden on my family, and that I might not be with them for very long, made the choice against medical advice to continue her pregnancy. I was blessed to have great doctors at Chan's Hospital. The doctors there were literally learning how to do the surgery they performed on me the week I was born, and I was one of the first babies to survive the surgery, thereby allowing for many more children with the same or similar deformities to survive as I had. Fortunately, I was also misdiagnosed and have never shown any cystic fibrosis symptoms or complications. I wonder how many mothers have received devastating diagnosis for their children and have chosen to end a pregnancy due to the financial burden they may have faced or the lifetime care they would need to provide for a child with disabilities. My mother faced the financial burden, which I was, as I cost $127,000 just to bring home from the hospital and the possibility of having a child with a lifetime of significant health issues. She chose life, and I stand before you today, a member of the Florida House of Representatives, representing my district and working to provide the best quality of life for all Floridians, including those with disabilities. We say on this floor all the time that we should be passing legislation for those that have no voice and those that need us to represent their best interests. I am speaking on their behalf today as their voice, as that unborn child's voice, that we should vote up on this bill today. It was also personal for Representative Allison Tant of Tallahassee, who says being forced to bear a disabled child can destroy a family and bankrupt it in the process. I don't have to wonder about the circumstances that a pregnant woman faces when she's told there's something wrong with her fetus. I don't have to wonder about the financial costs of raising a child uh, with disabilities. I don't have to wonder at the emotional and familial toll on a family raising a child with a disability. I don't have to wonder what it's like to have a child on the Medwaver wait list and watch him regress because he doesn't have access to services because that's my life. This is what I am living. And I have been for 22 years. I'm the proud mother of a 22-year-old son with a condition called Williams syndrome. He's cognitively disabled. He's been in and out of therapies, hospitals, and ESE his entire life. I have spent thousands upon thousands of dollars to explore and obtain every resource I could ever find for him. I have visited geneticists. I have visited medical specialists with him during my pregnancy as well as during the course of his life to try and to find ways to unlock him and his life so he has a better future. I don't have to wonder about these costs because I've borne them. Autism Speaks estimates that the lifetime cost of a child with, a dis with autism ranges about $1.4 million for, for a child. And a cost with, for, to a family with a child with cognitive disabilities is $2.4 million. Hospitalizations for disabled children are five times higher than those for a non-disabled child. And my son has been in the hospital 
multiple times for eight surgeries now. Private insurance is limited in covering medical, therapeutic, pharmaceutical, medical equipment, and adaptive technologies for people with disabilities. Families take out second mortgages, home equity loans, max out their credit cards, and raid the retirement funds to figure this out. And people who don't start out low income find themselves sliding towards it. And who will pay for these disabled kids born if the bill becomes law? Not the state, that's for sure. Not with more than 20,000 persons with disabilities who are already stuck on the waiting list for services. A personal note I should share with you here, as I have mentioned before, I have a 40-year-old daughter with Down syndrome who is the most important person in my world, and I cannot imagine life without Katie. In many ways, she's the one who keeps me tethered to this world. But I also cannot imagine the government forcing someone else to follow my path. That's a decision for parents, not the God Squad in the Florida legislature. On every other issue, Republican leaders insist they want to give parents a choice, but they exclude the most important choice of all the choice of being a parent in the first place. Time now for the Sunrise Calendar. The Senate Special Order Calendar Group meets at 8.30. The Senate Democratic Caucus meets at 9. The Senate meets at 10 to vote on a controversial election bill and a bill expanding the private school voucher program. The House meets at 1 to consider dozens of bills, including a proposal to do away with much of that controversial toll road plan that was pushed through in 2019 and came to be known as the Roads to Nowhere. The FSU Presidential Search Advisory Committee meets at 10 as it continues work on finding a successor to retiring President John Thrasher. The Florida Department of Economic Opportunity holds an online meeting at 2 about the state's efforts to draw down $47 million in federal mitigation funding for communities affected by Hurricane Michael. And the Florida Talent Development Council meets at 3. Finally today, a Florida woman who was already on probation for DUI manslaughter was arrested Sunday after troopers clocked her Hyundai at 111 miles per hour before she crashed into a Ford dealership and injured her three passengers. A highway patrol trooper was in the median of Interstate 4 and says 24-year-old Jennifer Carvajal never even slowed down as she blew past him. When the trooper caught up with her, her vehicle veered off the road, went airborne after hitting an embankment, and collided with a pickup truck, a concrete light pole, and a palm tree at the Gator Ford dealership. Two passengers were thrown from the car. The one who was in the front seat ended up in the back seat. Troopers say the driver was the only one wearing a seatbelt. Carvajal is charged with reckless driving, driving under the influence, DUI property damage, no driver's license, and violation of probation on the previous charge of DUI manslaughter. That's it for this episode of Sunrise. I'm Rick Flagg in Tallahassee, inviting you to join us again tomorrow as we plumb the depths of Florida politics.